welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the how-to of creating conscious leadership for business, life and the world. With ordinary people doing extraordinary things and being truly in control of their own health, wealth and happiness. Knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. Introducing your host, Julie Hogbin, author, international speaker, mentor, disruptor, and creator of Conscious Leadership, and property investor living in the UK. I answered a call from um, a LinkedIn post that I saw saying, does anybody know about Conscious Leadership and want to have a conversation? (laughs) And I sort of went, yes. So we've got Charlotte Braithwaite. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. I thought it was um, who was writing a thesis and has just told me that she's um, completely scrapped it to write it on something else now, (laughs) but along the same lines, along leadership. So um, Charlotte, you're interviewing me, so go. (laughs) Yeah, I know we've we've done a very last minute switch around, haven't we? Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, for the sake of now sort of this dual purpose of recording, Okay, you're, so that your listeners now understand, recap what we just spoke about. Yes. So, um, yes, my name is Charlotte Braithwaite. Um, I am a psychotherapist. I've diversified into coaching. Um, and I'm really interested in um, conscious leadership. And it all came about because sort of in 2020, obviously these are, if I hear it one more time, and yes, it is true, unprecedented yeah. times. Yeah. Um, I really noticed a shift in the people that were coming through and inquiring um, for support and that they were um, either in positions of leadership or identified as a leader, um, both sort of in corporate worlds or in organisations or as entrepreneurs. And seeking they were sort of seeking support not only for their own mental health, but it seemed to be like a bit of an awakening as to what was going on in the world and looking around at other leaders, those that were swimming and those that were sinking. And why is it that some were swimming and some were sinking? Yeah. Um, and really realising that perhaps the sort of archaic style of leadership was not going to be appropriate for this time. And that actually this um, kind of very willful, it's all about quarter three results was not going to be applicable this year. So, you know, everyone, we're in collective crisis. This was collective trauma. This still is collective trauma. And what do we do now? This is not something that my MBA covered, my degree covered, my textbooks covered, my self-help leadership guru book covers. Nobody covers um, how to manage in, in, in a pandemic. Um, but also I think just with the nature of sort of the paradigm shift that we're seeing, that this is a, a, a time of turmoil, but it's also a time of transition. So as as you said, Julie, I scrapped, <laughs> scrapped my entire thesis and thought, no, this is a calling. Um, I can't ignore this calling. And this is something that I... I can I recognise the limitations of me working in my private practice with the people that inquire to see me and actually I could serve far wider in reaching out to an audience that perhaps wouldn't reach out, perhaps that necessarily don't have people 
they're supporting them in a quite an intimate way. Um, and that's how I landed up posting on LinkedIn saying, <laughs> so I've changed my thesis last minute. Um, I'm really noticing this, this huge difference between what I've sort of termed wounded leadership and conscious leadership. Um, these are words that I've heard flitting around and people like Simon Sinek or Brene Brown of our thought leaders who are introducing us to this language, but I can't get a hold of Brene or Simon and, and, um, and I know they can't be the only ones. So put a post out on, on LinkedIn. And what was lovely actually was that two, yeah. in, initially you didn't see it. It was two people who knew you yes. both tagged you in. And I thought, yeah. well, this one's a keeper. I need to get hold of this one because she's come recommended. Um, and you were very kind enough to, um, to, to then agree and say, I have a lot to talk about. And I was like, that's absolutely fine. And this is where we are now. Yeah. So, so as this sort of dual, dual hosting thing goes down for your, for your podcast and for my interview, um, I guess the thing for me to help your listeners and also to help me understand where you're coming from, what in your experience do you see or have witnessed as wounded leadership? Ooh, where do I start? So just to sort of reacquaint, um, sort of my background. So, I got into management and development, um, learning and development, but with managers and leaders within business in my late 20s. So I'm now in, I hate saying it, 60s. Um, so I've been doing this for over 30 years. And wounded leaders have been throughout that whole time. And in 2011, uh, so out throughout that whole process, I worked across industries, through, so through um, private, public, uh, and the entrepreneurial sector. I was self-employed, employed, partner in a firm. Um, who worked when I was the partner in the firm? We worked exclusively with the non-profit sector, which includes government, NHS, and charities, basically. And in 2011, I I had had enough of banging my head up against a brick wall because as much as you can lead the horse to water, you can't make it drink. And I knew that I was being called into back it back into businesses who I had given the absolute answer to their to their issues, to their problems with leadership, with management, whatever the title is that goes with it. And they weren't implementing it. Now, I'm a change management agent as well, so I would give them all the tools, I would provide all the support, and they didn't go out there and do it. So in 2011, I got really, I just was banging my head up against a, a brick wall, mm -hmm. the next brick wall, and went, I can't do this anymore. So this is now um, probably 20 years of, of me doing what I do. So I sort of left. And I sort of threw everything away, really, and, and went into other businesses. What's happened since is that I have realised that my passion is about creating conscious leadership in the world. I mean, across the world, for anybody, yeah. everybody, for life, for business. And it's what I've always had the passion for. So when when I saw your post and when the two people said, oh, talk to Julie, it was really interesting for me because 
One of them I know quite well, and one of them I have met a couple of times, and she said, um, Julie's conscious leadership, she was the one that introduced me to the concept. Now, I've listened to you talking about Brené Brown and, and um, Simon Sinek, and yep, you're absolutely right, and there's a whole thing in this for me about us being the influencers so people know that the concept is even out there. So it's got very, yeah, it's got very, if you like, one of those words, one of those phrases that has become mm -hmm. more popular yeah. recently because of a lot of what's going on. But conscious leadership is not new. It's been around forever and a day. The phrase around conscious leadership is what's becoming more popular. Um, and wounded leadership yeah. um, links into that. So I, me being me and me doing what I do, um, I looked up the meaning of wounded because I love language. And it says injured yes, me too. and incapacitated. So when I can come up with examples yeah. of wounded leaders within business, I've got hundreds of examples. Because in the main, most leaders I have ever dealt with for one reason or another have been impaired injured or incapacitated in one way or another either by themselves which is where the conscious leadership comes in or by the culture they inhabit within their organization and culture is the combination of everybody's interactions one-on-one-on-one-on-one -on -one -on -one -on -one, combined to create the culture uh, so what happens Oh, see, this is such a deep thing and such a it's such a deep thing for us. Right. In well, I'm there. I'm with you. So <laughs> with you. Um, it's such a deep thing for us individually. But when we are in a group, we're influenced both negatively and positively by all of those around us. And dependent where we are individually, and I've written some posts recently on LinkedIn about this, where we are individually then allows us to either express ourselves well or not at all. But our expression, mm -hmm. our expressions of self come from the internal being at a core level. You know, we are now I'm going to maybe go a little bit way out for some of my general listen, listeners, but we are generationally affected by what's gone before. So we are not just the individual we are, we're filled yeah. by, we are yeah. filled and contained, not contained, that's the right one, um, we're filled and we are a container for everything before and that is generational thinking that yeah. comes down to us. Yeah. So conscious leadership in its pure form <clears throat> is us looking at who we are why we are who we are which takes a lot of searching and many people don't want to do that um looking at who we are deciding who we want to be creating the foundations values and um, principles within ourselves and then adapting our behaviors to suit those so conscious leadership is an inside out thing now i know yeah. i know oh, myself being me i I have always been me, but I now know more about me than I have ever done in my life. But it is not something that will ever stop. I consistently and constantly learn more about who I am, what I am and why I do what it is I do, if that makes sense. So when I look at people 
Um, so for me, conscious one of the things conscious leadership is, is about challenging the status quo, but the status quo is us. Because who are we? Why are we? Who? Mm -hmm. Now, I know that's pretty deep for a lot of people. So when you go into corporate and you ask those sorts of questions, and I've asked a lot of those sorts of questions, <laughs> hmm, you get some very interesting answers because it's like a what? Too deep. So you, within, within corporate, you know, some people are open to it, but then we've got to change the culture of, of, the, of the business. Yeah. So what have I seen examples? I mean, I could talk about this for hours, as you can probably gather. <laughs> let me let me give you <laughs> let me give you an example. I tell you, this is a, a true story. I'm not going to say the organisation, the person, the business. It's all very confidential because I'm a coach yeah, and a mentor and, and everything goes with that. Yeah. But I did a I did a series of training um, courses a few years ago now, I have to admit, but it's the story is still as good because it's still being repeated out there. Um, with a senior management team, chief exec of an organisation. And they um, employed me to create really challenging programmes for them. So one of the ones we I created at the time was um, looking at how we as individuals learn and what that means for us, and then looking at how organisational organizations learn and what that means for them as in results so it was a the one day was a really internal looking at who you are what you are and then the second day was about the business that was just one the other one I created from them was about communicating transparently so openly honestly but, but creating the environment to do that um, and uh, there was another one I can't, can't even remember currently what that is but it was about managing performance something to do with enabling performance so I run the programs, provided one-on-one -on -one coaching services to go with it. And about three years later, I got invited back. And this is a classic example of wounded um, leadership, wounded individuals. Mm -hmm. About three years later, I got called back in. And I'd been in and out of the business. I knew them you know, really well. Got called back into one of the mm. senior um, directors who was a female. And I got called in to coach her and mentor her because she'd got into a really tricky position. I got the backstory, found out what was going on. She was up for disciplinary, um, underperforming and everything else that went with it. So basically she was on the verge of dismissal. She'd been given mm -hmm. all, all sorts of things. The, the, the organisation had really looked after, had done everything they should. And when I went in to talk to her and she told me the story, her problems would not have been her problems had she had done what the training programs that I'd given her three years previously had taught her how to do, that she had practiced in the room because they're very practical um, events that I was running at the time. Mm -hmm. Had she transferred mm -hmm. that into the working environment, she would not have been in the position she was in. And what ultimately, mm -hmm. when, I, when we boiled it down, she was overwhelmed she thought mm -hmm. she was being nice by attempting to protect her team from what the organization was asking them to do which reverse psychology if you reverse the whole process out of that she was actually getting them into more trouble and more danger by trying yeah. to be nice and protective yeah yeah the whole value system was wounded yes yeah. 
he thought that was doing the right thing. So when we look at wounded leadership, it, it very often comes from a really good place. Yeah. You know, we think as individuals mm -hmm. are doing the right thing. Sometimes that's for a quick win. Sometimes that's for a shortcut. Um, like wounded leaders and non-conscious leaders will mm -hmm. not have the conversation with a member of staff who is underperforming because they don't want to upset them. Yeah. You know, allow, yeah. you know, continue allowing somebody to underperform and what's the result? You're not serving them, but that comes from us internally. Not having, I'm going to say not having the courage, maybe. I mean, and there, you know, if you, if you look at the, if you look, if you break courage into two words, core is heart. Age is yeah. age. Yeah. So with wisdom, come from the heart to have the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. so wounded leaders, there are a lot. It's not, I'm going to say it's not their fault half the time or the majority of the time because they just don't know what they don't know. But then when they do know what yeah. they don't know, they sometimes then don't even implement it anyway. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a massive yeah. spirally intertwined <laughs> circle somehow. Um, did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. That really, that really did. It's so beautifully illustrated as well. I love, I love, um, I love story. I think story is a wonderful way of bringing to yeah. life a concept. Yeah. And I, I um, and I, there's a couple of things I, I, I want to pick up. One is wholeheartedly agree. You know, I think leadership has been diluted to, um, to a doing activity rather than a way of being, and that, um. As it's not what we do, it's who we are. This is exactly what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's also what, I, what I'm so aware and what I'm really conscious that I don't want to do with this thesis is to demonise wounded leaders. Yes, yes, of course. We all know examples, both present and historic, of leaders who um, have incredibly high narcissistic traits, who are definitely on the scale of pathology somewhere. Yes. Um, and, and I think, and I think, you know, to some degree, that's what serves their quote unquote success. But half the time, and I think the example you gave was illustrated it beautifully, that it's not for ill will. It's actually the, the wounding is, and it's, it's like a tyrannical protector. It's not actually mm. protecting. Yep. But but the, the 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 intention is to somehow protect, but it, it doesn't really work. It actually has the opposite, and that that's for me where, um, say for example, when you were telling that story of that particular person who was trying to protect the team, I I would be interested in what in that person's personal history is coming in perhaps where. Yeah. Why does that person behave in that particular way? And this, for me, is where the self-exploration starts of, yeah. um, you know, could, could it be that the person that you're reporting into reminds you of your persecutory father? Yes. Or, you know, is it that you grew up in a household where um, emotions weren't acknowledged and it was entirely functional and therefore relationally you're just not connecting with your team? But to do that in a personal work, because if we don't do that, we end up just projecting unconsciously yeah another yeah. thing that you that you said 
that I wonder if you could expand a bit more on because yep. for me there is a difference between and this is um for your for your listeners if they're interested the the type of psychology that I'm studying is called psychosynthesis and you're talking about um I too love language and words and finding out what they actually mean and um psychosynthesis um to break it down is is psycho which actually was mistranslated Freud put it as mind it actually means soul psyche as soul in Greek okay. origin so okay we, we think of psychology as the mind you know um psycho and, and um lo- like logical is is the story of the mind but actually it's the story of the soul not the story of the mind and so psychosynthesis synthesis being integration is the integration of soul into being and this is how i work if i work with the being and just to make it even more deep and complex is that our quite often what we what we experience in somebody is not their being it's their personality and yes. when you look at the 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 formation of the personality it's a whole load of different adaptive mechanisms yep. that we learn how to fit into the world with Yep. So what I try to do is align the personality with the being, with the soul, and try and get our personality in service of the fullest expression of self rather than sort of quirks that, that come out in different ways. And what you're saying about culture, which I think is fabulous, because um, I think that in itself, all this language we're using has you know so many different connotations that we think of culture more as kind of um different traditions and things like that and yes that is applicable but when we look at um you know when your what your um etymology of wounded yep. again greek origins of wounded is is injury yeah but that um actually psychological wounding is wounding of the psyche wounding of the soul so it's an unhealed wound. Gabor Mate is brilliant. Brilliant. His work is fabulous for um for for trauma. So it actually the the origin of the word wounding means trauma. And what we're working with is traumatized people. We're all yes. traumatized people. Yes. We need to normalize that this is not just like a single event or a car crash or you know, some some major um, world disaster we are traumatized when we're a child and our parents aren't excited about the painting we made in year three that's devastating and that that can create a whole people-pleasing complex but i think that i'm getting i'm getting all passionate now Julie. sorry <laughs> you carry on I, being I, passionate i'm, I'm agreeing with every word again. i'm going off again but this <laughs> that this what when we look at and this i think is what needs to we need to educate leaders on and edu- well, educate everybody on, preferably, but that the, you know, trauma in a person presents as a personality. Trauma yeah. in a family system presents as family traditions and family traits. Trauma in a collective is culture. And that actually these are the, these are the invisible system forces that impact us all the time. And that when you're saying about that internal work, we can only affect it by internal work yes that we we that's the only way yeah and and i think you saying about the um having the self-awareness leading the horse to water yeah doesn't mean that the, the horse will drink yeah i think it takes something else 
And this is where I think there is the self. We can be super aware, but we all know, including ourselves, we yes. can be super aware and not change anything. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, yep. people come to therapy for years and make no progress. Yes. Because something is stuck. Yes. And for me, that is the will. And yep. you need both self-awareness and will. And the will gets stuck. And I think that, for me, what you just said about kind of if this person had implemented, if the will hadn't been stuck somewhere, perhaps in an old historic conditioning, something might have changed. Yes. So I guess for me, what I'm asking in in that very scenic route that I took was about um, that sometimes it's like the through the wounding, the will gets stuck. Yeah, I also think, because I'm a really practical individual, like you have never probably met in your life in some respects. Um, and I've, for that, those that are listening, I've just nodded the whole way through Charlotte's <laughs> yes, talk. <you> vigorously, vigorously <laughs> yes. nodding. I'm like, I'm in agreement. I think the will does get stuck, absolutely. And I think link to the will getting stuck is the how-to. So, yeah. You know, if you think of us as individuals, we are whatever age we're at. So I'm 60. If I hadn't, 61, if I had not been in learning and development for over 30 years now and working with leaders in business, I would not be the individual that I am today because Mm -hmm. I would have gone down a different path. If I'd have, so my first career was accountancy because I'm really good with numbers. Now, if I'd have stuck in the accountancy field rather than transitioning from accountancy to audit, to learning and development and being thrown in at the deep end I would not now know what I know mm-hmm. if I had not naturally for whatever reason from wherever it come from been an inquisitive individual which probably come from mm-hmm. sitting on my mum's lap reading books as a very young child and asking questions of why has my brother done that or why did you do do this which is what I used to do and I was an observant individual Mm -hmm. I am today if I if my school had not been um it it was I went to a grammar school and it got converted to a comprehensive in I don't know what year it is but when I was in my fourth year in the secondary school so like GCSE O level Mm -hmm. year had that not changed I would not have left school on the first day I could every experience we have creates a learning and a knowledge within us of something that goes into our beliefs our values well our values are slightly different to beliefs but that that creates a belief system about who we are what we are and what we can achieve so when we go when the will is stuck the will can be stuck for a very long time so you're a lot younger than I am you know this stuff now where I've learned this stuff later in life, but I was already on a journey of, of, of self-awareness and change. Some mm-hmm. people get to that level because yeah. they have that belief system that they are only worth what they have and what their parents had. So um, I'll give you another, another example. Um, and th- this is, this is actually classic. <laughs> also reminds me of a very funny story which I won't share now but um I lived in a street uh, at one point I lived in a in a house my house that I'd bought and it was in a house of um it was an ex-council house that I'd bought privately 
a few of my neighbours were council tenants. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, and I'm a landlord now, so I provide housing for people. And that was a belief. I didn't think I would ever be able to do that. And now I believe I can and I do. So um, this particular family in a three bed, very small house were the grandparents, the children, a male and a female. And they were probably at the time, I don't know, 30 something. And the female had two children. So there were two, four, there were six people living in a very small three bed terraced house. Now, the grandparents were on benefits. Both the children were on benefits, didn't work. Now I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not making any judgments on any of this. Mm -hmm. The children didn't work. And the children, so the grandchildren were being brought up. And last I saw them, they didn't work either. Now that is a generational process. Yeah. And they all lived in the same house. Now their neighbours had uh, were on benefits. But the mother cleaned, well, the mother cleaned to, to the level of the benefits she could clean. Sure. Yeah. Um, the father couldn't work. There was, um, he for whatever reason, he couldn't work. The two children of that particular family, one went out and qualified as a chef and one went out and qualified as an accountant. Both of those children went out and bought their own houses. One of those children, last time I saw them, had got married and had two children, but he had his own house, he had his own car. Uh, that was the chef so the guy so two families similar ish mm -hmm, mm -hmm, in their, um upbringing for the children but completely different results mm -hmm. so somewhere in all of this who are we and what the will is and i i don't i make no judgments on how people live their life which i learned a number of years ago after being told i was one of the most judgmental people someone had ever met oh that was a good piece of feedback to receive now what do I do with that? Go away and unpack it. Um, I make no judgments on their life because individually they were both very, very happy as, as as people, as far as I could see. But what is it within that environment that one goes out, gets their own houses, and the and the parents of the second family, they bought the house as well when the government you know, sold houses off. They bought it somehow, so they had savings. The other family never did. Mm -hmm. But there is something in there for me about... <sighs> Whether we know whether we have the will or not, what is it that gets stuck? And I think that is a massively, hugely deeper thing because they were neighbours. They would have both seen what the other one was doing. They would have yeah. both known. Yeah. I knew. So what is it that enables one and disenables another? Yes. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I think there's the... Um... The will, the will is there because they're they're living, they're surviving, they're functioning. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So the will is always there. It's just where it's stuck. Yes. Yeah. And I and I think that that's um for me. I think this is the what what sort of traditional um psychology doesn't recognise is that we, it's all very mind 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 mind, but it's but. There's something else that drives us. There is a there is a, a being that wants to move forward in some way. And we see this unhealthily through kind of when, when we're too identified with the materialistic world and we think, I'll be happy I'll be happy when syndrome. I'll be happy yes. when I get the car. I'll be happy yep. when I get the bigger house. Yep. And that we always move the, the, the benchmark. Yes. Because we are we are naturally evolving and expanding beings. But that when 
we become sort of stuck in this sense of paralysis, this sort of helplessness. The, and I think the worst place to be, I, I actually think the worst place to be is not, is not sort of unaware and no will. It's aware, but stuck. I think that's, that's, that's actually really painful. And I yes. totally agree. I think it is, it is, um, it is almost meeting somebody in that regressive part, taking their hands and saying, I will show you how. Yes. There is another way. But I, we have to do this in a really nurturing, yes. loving way. It has to be relational because persecuting and barking at people doesn't activate their will. No, of course if, it doesn't. If anything, it frightens them yeah. or it makes them dig down and resist. Yeah. Um and coming back to what you said, because I made a couple of notes when you when you were talking earlier, this this um, protectionism, protectionism disenables people. Yes. It does not help. So any manager, leader, whatever their title, because titles don't mm -hmm. mean. Yeah. Yeah. We're all leaders. We're all leaders of self. Whether we do that well or not is our choice, but we're all leaders of self. And we then take our leadership of self into a role where we manage and lead others. Protectionism disenables people now within within the um corporate world well within business you've got to have that level of support and challenge so we have to nurture but we have to challenge for the for the growth now yeah. challenge for all of us need to be in that balanced position because if we over support we disenable if we over challenge we potentially create burnout yes so we have to, if we can, get that in balance and recognise when it isn't and, and address it. Um, I've just written a book called Stress the Reality because I see so much of this happening around me. Um, and, you know, we are in unprecedented times. It's we've never been in this, this place before. Mm -hmm. So I've just written the book Stress the Reality because I think it will really help people to understand what stress is and how stress is caused because we are in... We are our own, for want of a better word, we are our own creator of that as well. Because if, yeah. we, if we truly believe we can have a different result, then we do something about it. If we truly believe we can't have a different result, then we don't. And that creates additional pressure, which can lead to stress. It, it's, it's a, none of this is um, isolated. Everything yeah. fits together. Our health is a direct response of how we deal with pressure. So, you know, there's a massive, a massive thing in here around how do we create the, the healthiest leadership, conscious leadership, you know, whatever we want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen a lot just recently, and this might be quite interesting for your thesis, actually. I see a lot about authentic leadership. Yeah. So I wrote a post on LinkedIn the other day because I thought I woke up one morning, as I do, and went, what was that about? Because we're all authentic. We are all mm. authentic to who we are. But does that make us a good leader? So me being who I am without the development of me as yeah. the being, am I a good authentic leader or am I a good dictatorship, dictator authentic leader? So I had this moment, put it out on Facebook, as I, on um, LinkedIn, as I do, and thought it's not about being an authentic leader, it's being a leader with integrity. Yes. Yes, 
and I'm I'm going to do what I almost promised myself I wouldn't do, but I am going to reference Trump. Yeah. And um, but because <laughs> I don't mind you referencing him. He, he 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 provides almost a caricature example of um, I wholeheartedly believe he thinks he is authentic. And I, and I, and, and I think what we see is his wounding. And I think actually what you've just done for me is reframe. I think a lot of people mean, as you've just said, um, leading with integrity rather than leading with authenticity because wounded people, and I include myself, because we all have wounding it's just how how much work we've done with it yeah but when i think back to i don't know my early 20s i was 100 percent being authentic to where i was yeah absolutely what i knew to the level of consciousness with which i was identified yes and it's unfair to actually punish or persecute or judge yep with with a word that i think has good intent yeah i think it has good intention but actually, authenticity doesn't necessarily mean integrity. No, it doesn't mean integrity at yes. all. At all. Yes. Completely different. And that is, and that I'm, I'm feeling super passionate about, <laughs> super empowered <laughs> by, because, because I think in my, in my thesis, I'm trying to find, you know, I don't want this thesis to just be like a white paper that I do, I you know, I get my masters and, and then it sort of sits in on some online library i really want it to be accessible i want it to be applicable i want people to pick it up and to understand it um and and understand what we mean by um these buzzwords i think you know consciously yeah. to become a buzzword but it's it's been embodied for years decades centuries um yeah exactly and so you just saying that has, has really helped to further define what I think are the qualities of conscious leadership and not necessarily um, a style of leadership. I think it's an embodied, an embodied. um, And I think, as you just said about, you know, integrity, one of the parts of um, the the theory that I'm pulling together in in psychosynthesis, we talk about um, there's, there's two mountains. We talk about the hero's journey. Yeah. And then we talk about the journey of the initiate, which is like you get to the top of the mountain on your hero's journey and you think, crap, there's another mountain. And it's <laughs> and it's the internal mountain. It's the inner work. It's when we've achieved it's it ultimately, you know, it's it's the midlife crisis. Right. It's uh, I've got everything I thought I'd need. And yet I feel a void. Yeah. And and this is this is how I personally work um, as a psychotherapist. I work with crisis of meaning. It's it's and I think right now the whole world is experiencing experiencing an existential crisis. And I believe it is an existential crisis of leadership. What we are facing It's where we stop and pause and think, is what I'm doing? Does it have any purpose, meaning or value? Or am I just busy? Am I just going through a tick list? Am I just trying to meet the results of Q4? Yeah. Um, and when you talk about sort of integrity, for me, it's about becoming a moral being. I think yeah. it's working on our narcissistic wounding. I think it's getting out of our pride. 
Yeah. It's about stepping away from leaders being this this single hero at the top of the pyramid, yeah. making decisions on their own. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's actually quite a, quite an archaic vision of leadership. I, mean, I think we are moving away from that. But it's actually one of the biggest things is having the courage to ask for help. Yes, absolutely. Having the courage to say to your team, look, I, I've never done this before. I love Brene Brown's um, FFT. Have you heard of that? No, I'm going to think so. I'm, I'm presuming that most of your listeners are of over the age of 18. I will edit appropriately. So Brene, one of the things I love with Brene Brown, and I've, in, I've, I've did a couple of presentations recently to um, some HR and CEOs and MDs on how to support their team with their mental health when returning to work during COVID. Yeah. And one of the things that was a really simple, I don't claim it to be my own, it is Brene Brown's, I totally stole it. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I said to them was about using um, what she calls an FFT. So an FFT is, a, yeah. is an acronym for an effing first time. <laughs> yeah. And that when we are in situations as we are now, we sit people down and we say, hey, let's name this. This is an FFT. None of us know what to do. As the leader, I don't know what to do. As the employer, I don't, you don't know what to do. Let's all ground in the reality of no one's supposed to know what to do now, but we can figure it out together. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the only um, way through all of this. I, I want to introduce, yeah. I want to introduce you to something because of something you just said. And I know you mentioned Trump. Um, have you ever heard of a, have you ever heard of a guy called David Oates and reverse? No. no, I don't think so. No. Right. Okay. So David Oates is an Australian by birth and he has created or discovered that when we talk, um, he's created this system that actually um, transcribes the back talk and the back oh. talk comes from our soul. It is Lovely. unconscious right. speaking. Yeah. Now, I've done some work with him because I was stuck and I bumped mm -hmm. into him at, a, at an event um, somewhere, as I do. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. Let's see. And then what he does, he creates and we our back talk, our reversed speech talks in metaphors. So he's created a library of metaphors, which is a different language, but they all have meaning. He's yeah. been doing this whole life. Um, so I did some work with him and then what he does, he, he creates like audios for, um, I'm going to say they're a bit like a meditation, which you listen to for a period, which talks to your unconscious to unstick you type thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you, and you, and then you have another session with him because by unsticking you move. So you don't just listen yeah. to the same thing over and over. Now I saw a post from him the other day. And this is not politics. This is nothing to do with politics. Mm -hmm. it comes back to the integrity and the authenticity of the individual. And he reverse speeches, um, politicians and people. It's got him. It's got him into like death sort of situations in the. I'm sure. I'm sure there's you know creates a death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but of the of Biden and Trump, when you reverse talk them, Trump is more honest. Yeah. So, what he believes and what he says are congruently forever, whereas his yeah. opponent, what he believes and what he says isn't. 
Yes. So, yes. of the two, forget the politics, of the yeah. two, the one who is most congruent in what he says and what he believes is, is um, Trump. It's Trump. Yeah. And I think this is where and how he got voted in. Yeah. Because I think intuitively yes. we, we know we, we picked that up. Yes. Um, and, no, when, no. and of course, you know, when somebody so, so, um, what's the right word? So impassionately says, like, this is the truth. Of course we want to believe that. You know, yes. especially if you're in a place of self-doubt or a place of anxiety, when someone offers certainty, we are hardwired to gravitate towards them. Yeah. So uh, that's really interesting. I really, really like that. I'll definitely, definitely be looking into that. It's very, it's, he's very, very good. Um, it's, it, it is his absolute life work, absolute mm -hmm. life work. Um, and because it's, people perceive it as dangerous, but basically what he's uncovered is the soul talking. Yes, it's what it's it's the it's the unconscious. It's yeah. the it's the um, it's the part. And even even in that, the unconscious, you know, for, for me and what I believe, self is always trying to emerge. Yeah. You know, especially when when um, when people end up, you know, sort of as a generic example, people come to me, um, whether that be um, leaders or, or, you know, Joe blogs comes to me and says, um, you know, I just keep seeing to be in the same position over and over again, like whether it's dating life, whether it's career stuff, it's it's why does this keep coming up? And it keeps coming up because the, the self is saying this this needs to be looked at. It's not it, we've not we've not resolved, we've not healed this. And I think even even in psychosomatic um, symptoms that unfortunately predominantly sort of in the western world we, we just try and quieten the symptoms rather than look yeah. what are they trying to tell us yes um, yeah. and and this is where um psychosynthesis is it, it it integrates western psychology with with kind of eastern spiritual traditions of of um we are more than just our skin and ourselves yes. and our yeah. organs yeah um who is the being underneath and i think the thing I'm conscious of time, but I'm I'm fine till eleven, so we can keep that. <laughs> um, I'm I'm happy to forego my biscuit break. Um, <laughs> but but there's for me, I think there's we we both seem aligned on wounded leadership, and that's and it's so refreshing. Um, not only for someone to to get it, but also speak my language. So thank you. You're welcome. Then, then there's conscious leadership, and I love this this. Grounded in integrity, self-awareness, um, and I think uh, um, at least a growth mindset of the, the willingness to try or to change with the information that you learn about yourself. But what do you think is the biggest, and I'm super aware this is a loaded question, what Come do you then. think, what do you think, brace yourself, um, is the biggest challenge to healing wounded leadership? Oh, well, that's nice. Or like the, 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 the internal, because we, I think we've both agreed it's less external, it's more internal. Yeah, without a doubt. But what, the big, what, what's the biggest challenges? The biggest challenge, so I'm, I said it's an easy one to answer, and I think it is, but it's, of course, got a much deeper connotation to it. Yeah. I think the, 
um, biggest challenge for this is to be willing to, I want to say willing to change, but it's more than that. It's about willing to be willing to stand out, to be willing to potentially make a mistake. Because, you know, mm. when we change things, we do things differently. Yeah. We're not yeah, perfect. We I mean, and none of us are perfect anyway. But when you do things differently, when you change things, it's very, very, very uncomfortable for people. So dependent on, on how deep the wounding is, you know, and they may not even know that they're wounded. That's the other thing. We all, I say we all, that's that's wrong. Individually, um, I mean, I know I'm wounded and I, I regularly do things to unwound me to repair the uh, mm -hmm. to repair the thing that pops up, but it pops up every now and then. I'm like, where did that come from? Okay. Mm. I am conscious enough to know when those things happen. Yes. And of course, many people aren't conscious enough to know that there's even a thing and as and as you've said we sort of we we push them down because yeah. it's like where's that emotion come from mm -hmm. i'm i'm talking to somebody currently their their father's just died and they're not grieving they're not crying um now my mum died i and i still have days when i'm like i can do nothing but cry now i don't mm -hmm. quite know what that is all about but actually i'm not stopping it because no. that's healthy because it's the yeah. internal coming out. Yeah. It's part of a process. So, so the easiest thing, the simplest thing for me is that people, A, don't know they're wounded. To yeah. Start. Yeah. And then when they are needing to do something different, that change is really scary even yeah. when they can see the result so this is what i need to do if i do it here i'll get that it's still this something sticks and for, for me that is really about change and what other people potentially will think about them yes this you have led me so beautifully <laughs> into, a little, into a little piece of theory that i'm going to drop in here um because, because one of the things that um in my training we do a, we do a lot of is um helping people to bear the 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 guilt and shame of when we realize what we've done as, as a result of our wounding yeah and if yep. we can't bear it we project it okay. and we extend the wounding and that there's there's two different types of so when we when we think of um shame and guilt so and i will use um the demigod that is Brene brown again <laughs> um because her definitions are so so true so fabulous where she defines the difference between guilt and shame is guilt i did something bad shame is i am the bad thing okay yes shame is about us who we are is is wrong but guilt is um I did something wrong and therefore there's a reparation. Yeah. Like there's an opportunity of reparation. Yeah. And many people get stuck in shame and can't express, can't say, because it is the ultimate silencer. Yeah. And yeah. But when in psychosynthesis and what I do a lot with my clients is when you're talking about the, that change, a lot of people get stuck either in here, in, I'm pointing yeah. to my head, audience, <laughs> um, in here, in my head, they get stuck in what we call the neurotic 
the neurotic shame or guilt or what will people think of me if I if I screw up what would the judgment be yeah and they get or if if I've made a mistake I don't want people to know I've made a mistake and and it's they get stuck in the neurotic what we what I try to help support people to do is connect more to the existential into the who you are into the being and that for me conscious leaders have a a resilience a capacity to bear existential shame and guilt of I know I've done this and I've got it wrong yeah and I know that doesn't define who I am yeah and that actually my values are I own it and that People, you know, I can't control what people judge or project of me. They get out of the neurotic and they sink into the existential of the being as opposed to just the mental activity. Yeah. And I think that, as you say, as and as we move away from, I'm not going to say safety because I think it's perceived safety. Yeah. I don't, I really, I don't like the word comfort zone because many people's comfort zones are very uncomfortable. It's their familiar zone. Yeah, it's what people are familiar with a lot yeah. of the time is perceived sort of, well, we know we do it this way. We, you know, yes, OK, it, it takes a long or really arduous way, but we, this is what we've always done. This is how things are. And when we start to move away from that, we, we move towards uncertainty, even yes. though we're saying, well, it could be better. Or we could, even if there's a goal there and we think, oh, yeah, we're mo- but we're moving away from what we perceive has kept us safe. Yes. And I think the fear kicks in. And this is then when people go, oh, no, 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 we'll just go back. No, I wonder, I wonder actually if if you've experienced this too, where you go into organisations and for a period of time, they do, they do kind of adapt to the new change. And then we slowly regress back to the way it was before. Yeah. Because it's not practised enough. Yeah. Or there's not enough holding. Yeah. Um, and there's no, and generally the change of that description within an organisation, there's very little accountability. Yes. Because change, I think there's a piece of research been done many years ago that said something like 95% of change initiatives fail because there's no yeah, accountability. Wow. Yes. People are not held to doing the thing that has been agreed to be done. And slipping yeah. back into who we are to the familiar zone, the comfort zone, is very yeah. easy. Yeah. What came to mind when you were talking about the um, the shame and the guilt? Mm-hmm. Shame can be inherited, passed yeah. down. Absolutely. Generational trauma is, is huge. Yeah. And what I also added in just the word, because this is one of my things, is about personal responsibility. Yes. So what's our personal responsibility, responsibility being the duty to do to get to the best yeah. result for us and others within an organisational setting? And when we are really truly great leaders it's not about us it's about everybody else servant leadership yeah Yeah, exactly so from servant leadership my phrase that I adopted many years ago was I seek to serve oh I like that I seek to serve so if I am not serving others then I have to look at it and I take that in at a really deep core level. I seek to serve. Now, seeking to serve does not mean you agree with everybody all of the time. Mm-hmm. It does yes. not mean that you do as you're told all of the time. 
No. Because if you seek to serve, you question, you challenge, you you give your opinions, you express yourselves, you do it in the best way you can. You give feedback, constructive and praise. So the practicalities within this of leadership is huge. Mm. And it all comes from the internal you know, like value system. So one of my highest values is honesty. Mm-hmm. Now, my belief linked to that highest value, and that is my highest value, by the way, is honesty. Um, my belief linked to that is that I need to tell the truth. But my behaviours linked to that does not mean that I tell the truth all of the time to everybody around me. What it yeah. means is that I tell the truth to people that A, I think it will serve them. So I seek to serve. Yeah. And I say it in a way that enables them to hear it. Yes. Yeah. So I give feedback or have a conversation in an assertive, kind, calm, challenging way you know which whichever <laughs> works for the individual in their language enabling them to hear it in the best way they can so when people when people have that sort of high value of honesty they don't lie so if they don't lie they tell the truth but how do they tell the truth but that means also means you don't lie to yourself yeah so if you don't lie to yourself that means you take on feedback and you analyze what's going on for you up here so you're so in in your head with your self-talk but also Mm -hmm. in your heart and Mm -hmm. in your gut so I have a massive gut instinct always have had I've ignored it in in the past yeah but now I listen I listen to it I work with it I'm thinking okay so that bit of me is telling me that how does that relate into the external world what am I missing or what am I needing to look at or what do I need to research so the internal external thing, when we are in tune and have done some of that personal development stuff, whatever that might mean for us, you link the two together and you get a far better result for, yeah. for yourself and for those yeah. around you. Yes. So there's, there's I love that. I know. Yeah. See, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't have your knowledge of the, you know, the, 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 your thesis your mba your degree your knowledge linked into what you do and i've never listened to brene brown oh <gasps> well because of you i'm gonna get on the path on fire um you well she you you will resonate deeply and and i'm 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 genuinely shocked <laughs> um, but with no judgments but, but no. um yeah i think and i and i really love i as a very quick caveat, I love this, the specific language. I really want to hone in on this of what part of me, because we, we, we are, we are a whole with many, many parts. Oh, we yes. are um, complex beings. We absolutely are contradictory. We're hypocritical. That, you know, that is, and, and, and actually, um, this, this is just part of the human condition. And part, part of the work that I do is about, just helping people realize we are there is absolutely a part of you that might disagree with the other part of you that thinks this is absolutely right but it's we need almost like the framework of our values or or a how-to 
in order to help support ourselves through a process of disidentifying from the part of us that might not be seeking to serve yes. and identify with the part that is. Yes. Um, and that, yes, I think, I think that's, it's so, um, it's so, this for me, this is just the most important work, the work <laughs> of the world. And I think. And for I, me, for a very long time. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's so lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I feel, um, I feel like it's a sunny day, even though it's not. <laughs> it's raining. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really raining here too. And it's, it's actually, I think for me, really, really comforting because when I did put that post out on LinkedIn, um, which was like the 179th take of said, <laughs> said video that I, because and I realised I was getting so stuck in recording it over. I can't tell you, Julie, over and over and over again. And I thought, what, what it, why am I so stuck? Why is my perfectionist, my perfectionist subpersonality raging, um, in this? You're putting yourself thought, out there. Yeah, it's, I'm putting myself out there. And because in my heart, this is for me, and I'll say it again, it's the most important work of the world. And I, I believe in it so much. That it, you know, it's, it really, it's both scary and sacred. And I think that, um, it means so much. And I'm genuinely really moved to have found you, found you, like <laughs> the Holy Grail. Um, because, because, yeah, because I think this, this is the conversation that needs to become l- less taboo and more the bread and butter of conversation. Yeah. Um, you know what? Thing, things are changing. Um, yeah, they are changing. So I've been banging my drum on this for over three decades. I see more people banging their drum now. I yes. see, you know, I young, really feel that rhythm. I do. Yeah. Young, younger people like yourself banging their drum. Now, I was you three decades ago, probably. <laughs> um so we we have to pass the baton on. We have to pass the mantle on. We have to keep doing it regardless of who we are and what we are and where we are and whether we whether we are scared of putting ourselves out there or not, because. We as women and I think there is a fundamental shift within the energy fields within society about who we are as women um, yeah. and what what the impact of women have within the world. Now, coming from you know my background with with at my age with my parents, my mum um told me the story that when she married, she my mum was a nurse in the war. Um, she met my dad, and mum mum and dad got married, and they were married for six nine years. But when she got married, she had to leave nursing because married women couldn't work. Yeah. Now that is not that long ago. No, it's really not. It's really, really not. not that long ago. So when you think about us as women now and what we do and what we don't, and I'm having conversations with, um, and this is why I'm creating the Women Into Business Academy. Um, one of my mentors, who I'm actually interviewing this afternoon at three o'clock, attempt and is a male, and I don't have any issue with dealing with males in a working environment. <clears throat> so my background is, you know, retail um, and accountancy, and then going into property as well, which I did a few years ago. The majority of people that operate within those businesses are male. I grew yes. up with I grew up with two brothers, elder brothers. 
So I don't have any issue with talking to males and dealing with males and interacting with males within the working environment. Now, a lot of women I know do. Mm -hmm. They really struggle. Now, I don't know whether that's a generational thing, I've yet to discover that, or whether it's an internal wounded thing, might be. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my mentor that I'm interviewing this afternoon, for the, again, for the podcast, he... Um, he wants to get more women on his podcast and he interviews millionaires and billionaires and, you know, high level he's, he's levels above me within wealth creation and business creation. Women don't want to be interviewed on his podcast. Now, I, I'll, I'll come forward. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, part of me thinks, what is it within the women that stops them being on his podcast? For being interviewed for it yeah. that is something internal now he may do something don't get me wrong that that or they may do some research on him and they're sort of saying i don't want to be on his podcast but they agree and then say and then don't ha it doesn't happen oh they ghost him okay you know yeah. so it's really interesting what happens so i think there's a there's an energy shift i think women are needing to step up i think men yeah. are needing to allow them I yeah. think men are coming from from the I say men male tendencies are maybe a little bit threatened by the female tendencies and this is not this is not really a gender thing but you know men are the hunter gatherers women are the people that mm. you know procreate mm -hmm. and, and keep home that's centuries old you know yeah. when did women get the vote was it 54 or something mm -hmm. you know this is really new for women really new for women we may think it's been going on forever but it hasn't no you know my mum my mum didn't go to work until i was um 11. so when i went to secondary school was the first time my mum had a job now that's only 50 years ago mm. it's not that long so women are now and i was talking to some women the other day about needing to let go and let their husbands do more within the family unit because the women are creating the business well then you've got to let the husbands look after the children mm -hmm. you know we we can't do everything so all of that generational thinking for a, for many would certainly serve to be looked at because if we let go of one thing we can create something else yeah. if we don't let go and mend and heal what what is the future yeah, you know, for a lot of people, what's the future? What what a powerful line. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. If we if we if we don't let go and create, what is the future? Because because it is it is a let and go. Yeah. Because and I think I think you're absolutely right. Just to comment on on um the the emerging feminine in the paradigm shift where where it's not serving is is this sort of superwoman cape wearing we do everything um archetype isn't isn't serving this is what leads to burnout yeah exactly um and and that actually what we need is something more um more balanced that it's that it's about an integration you know that it's not about as you said, it's not it's not gender specific. It's not about women doing one thing, men doing the other. We all yes. have, you know, we all have masculine and feminine energies about yes. us. 
Yeah. And whether, and this is where I think with um, with some of the language, we're talking about buzzwords about toxic masculinity. I prefer to use wounded masculinity because I think toxic then makes masculinity look as if it's the bad thing. But actually, we, yeah. wounded wounded femininity is neurotic. So so we can't. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually, we need to have a balance, um, a balance of of love and will. We need to have a balance of masculine and feminine yeah, um, within all of us. Yeah. We we are yin and yang. Um, and yeah. I think and I think that um, when one isn't contained within the context of the other, this is where dysfunction occurs. Yeah. Can I give you one more line? And I only learned this yes. myself. I only, yes, you can. <laughs> I only heard this myself. Oh, I, 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 time has flown just recently, probably a year ago. I don't know. But it, it's one of those lines. And I was just in the right place at the right time to, to hear it. Hurt people hurt. Oh, I heard that yesterday on a podcast. Ah, synergy. Yes. Yes. Hurt people. Well, hurt people hurt people as well i think yes. abs- absolutely and the it what it what i think is required at this point is is radical compassion yes um, radical compassion yeah that is going to require a whole ton of energy and containment and holding um because Boy, does it feel self-gratifying to blame, shame, and judge others. But it doesn't serve anything. Doesn't work. <laughs> and actually, then, then all that happens is I sit and I wallow in my own existential guilt that I've realised what I've done. <laughs> um, and I have to, I have to recommit to my shame sobriety of, okay, well, I've regressed, but it's okay. I can, I can pull myself back. That, and the, the responsibility, the personal responsibility part, and the the word itself responsibility is our ability to respond and i think that's yeah. um we all have it but it's sometimes through no fault of our own we have not been given the tools the yes, education exactly. or the personal experience to be able to embody yeah. it yeah i totally totally agree oh. i totally agree <laughs> yeah i want to give you like a virtual, virtual hug, hug. <laughs> across, across um, the airways because i think it's so, as I said before, it's so refreshing. It's so, um, it's so empowering to talk about hard things. Yeah. And it not feel hard. Yes. Um, and you know what? And that's the truth. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't yeah. have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be scary. It can yeah. be loving and nurturing. I, I did some intuitive. I worked with an intuitive healer, Catherine Veer. Um, she's one of my business partners into the Women Into Business Academy. And um, because I needed to emotionally heal myself when my mum died, Mm -hmm. I got myself into a bit of a fog. I say I got myself into it. I was in a fog. Um, And she, (laughs) I always remember it. She said to me uh, one day, she said to me, do you trust me? I said, yes, I do. She said, so... um, and I said to her, work with whatever comes up, whatever comes up, I'll, I'll go down that that route and we'll see what happens. And one day she said about, do you trust me? I said, yes. And I had this real, I've never felt so scared in all my life. Mm. And I'm not a scared person. It doesn't, I don't seem to have that gene somehow. 
Mm-hmm. I never, I have never felt so scared in all my life to the point where I was sweating and shaking and my voice changed. And um, I said to her, I'm just so scared. I can't do this. And I'm, I don't say I can't either because I am, a, mm-hmm. I can do. Yeah. I'll get round it, over it, through it, under it, whatever. And she said to me, do you trust me? I said, yes, I do. So I went down the route, whatever the route was. But for the first time in my life, I was absolutely petrified. I mean, mm-hmm. and you know, to get to 60 and not mm-hmm. feel that in some respects, mm-hmm. I've had a very, for want of a better word, charmed life. And I believe you make your own charm and your own luck and all, and all the rest of it that goes with that. But um, if people feel, actually, this is really resonating with me at the minute. I need to do something yeah. a bit later. If yeah. really feel that fear, like that deep core level. Yeah. I can truly now, oh, I'm so glad we're talking because I would never have thought of this had we not had this conversation. I can now truly understand how fear stops people doing things yeah trying things going places wherever that place may be not that Mm -hmm. necessarily physically placed unless they are truly trusting the individual that is leading them managing working with them um educating them you're training them coaching them whatever it is if you do not trust implicitly that whole journey will be so much harder because they'll stop it. They'll stop. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Whatever the thing is, that's a technical word for me as same as stuff is. Um, they'll stop doing it because of the fear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. We could go on another yeah. conversation. On we this. could. I'm going to, I'm always oh, late. No. Mother, no. Mother. Um, look at me not practicing boundaries at all. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'm, Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I would love to continue this conversation another time. Um, well, we're, co- I, we're connected I, now, so we can. Yeah, However, we absolutely. do that, we can. Um, and, yeah. I, and I'll say, you know, if you ever want to, if you want ever want another conversation, always yeah. happy to. If you ever want to discuss anything or throw something at me, because yeah. you've got one set of learning, I've got another set of learning. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, they're definitely coming next together. Time, yeah, next time I'm going to bring up some snacks. And keep me going, um, and keep keep the conversation going. But thank you. Um, You're welcome. I I will most definitely be in touch. Um, and I'm super sad I have to leave. Um, Do you want but, me to send yes, you a copy of this so recording? I would love that. Okay. I would love it. Thank, and thank you to your your audience as well for staying with us <laughs> for the whole duration of our. Exactly. Very, very chat, um, empowered chat. So, yes, thank you so much, Julie. You're, Take you're care. welcome. And you too. Bye for now. Okay. Go well. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. You can contact Julie on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and Hear Me Out. Please subscribe to her YouTube channel for how-to videos and more content. And please message Julie to have your questions answered. Until next time, remember, knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. See it, say it, write it, believe it and achieve it.